You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. These are edited audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is sponsored by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all the paid supporters that make this show possible. You can get more info and follow my updates on all the content and open source I'm creating at patreon.com slash brettfisher. And as a reminder, all the links for this show, the topics we discuss, as well as the links I've already mentioned, are available on the podcast website at podcast.brettfisher.com. This year, in many of my projects on GitHub, I've started adding GitHub Actions to all repos. And the first thing I've started to add is linting for pretty much every file type that I have in GitHub. And honestly, I've seen it for myself and for the clients I've done this for, that it really levels up the minimum expectations of what a repo can do. In GitHub today, we already have automatic security scanning, dependency scanning, if you enable Dependabots, and other things happening to repos. And I'm hoping that in the future, linting is one of those things that we just always do. And it happens on every commit that's pushed to your repo. I now feel so strongly about this, seeing the success of Superlinter in my own projects, that it's now gonna be my default for my own projects as well as any future clients I might bring on. I created this episode specifically so I could share what I've learned this year in implementing it, and some of the subtle complexity of Superlinter itself as an open source project for linting all different types of files with all different types of linters. And I'm hoping that you'll consider investing some time in Superlinter yourself. It can be implemented anywhere, not just GitHub Actions. And I firmly believe that linting on the server side on every commit pushed to your repository is going to yield lots of benefits across the board for a team. So please enjoy this episode of Linting Everything with Superlinter. We are going to demo something that I didn't even know was in beta yet until today. So what I had planned for today was talk about all the things in GitHub that are coming for us to all reuse and template each other's workflows. Because as I adopt more GitHub actions in my own work, I'm more convinced that it is the default automation platform. I'm not even going to call it CI. It's just an automation platform that can do CI, CD, and a bunch of other things all inside your repos where your code is already existing. Now, it doesn't mean I don't like GitLab or Bitbucket or everything else out there for storing code and CI, but I think the future of automation platforms is that they are going to be built into our code repo systems. So First off, let's get to some questions. Hello, everyone in chat. Um, so hyped for this, Philip. I've been looking to add a linter for my repos at work. Fantastic. <laughs> 1,000 problems and one solution. As we will talk about, linting creates its own problems, but I'm convinced that it's better than not having it, right? Especially when you have a team. And quite frankly, I learn stuff about my own writing skills or lack of by using linters. So uh, a lot of times I don't realize that maybe the thing I learned a decade ago, like JavaScript, you know, that has evolved. We, we have changed the way we prefer to write JavaScript, for example. So linters, I think, help keep me up to date on the latest opinions on ways to write things. So I think it's overall a good thing. It is work. Linting is work, but it's necessary work 
And I think there's a ton, of, especially if you're in a larger team, the bigger your team grows, the more important and more reasons you need linting. So we'll talk about that. Where should one add things like a linter within a multi-stage Docker file? So no, you could put linting in a Docker file and add that as a stage for linting that you do with testing. But I suspect that your guy platform or your automation platform of choice is going to be a better place to do that in that language. One of the advantages, I guess, of putting in a Docker file is it will run anywhere you can run Docker, right? So you can lint everywhere. But a lot of times locally nowadays, I mean, things are evolving where linting is a part of our editors, assuming, you know, you've got your editor set up for that. Linting is something, as we'll see with GitHub Actions, that is really best to run in parallel beside your building of your image. And this goes into the whole CI testing too, right? Because that question you're asking, the great one, you know, you can put all your testing in a Docker file and then just basically your CI is building a Docker file. And then it does all the testing and does all the linting all while building in Docker. You could do that and that's very transportable. But I think what you end up with is you lose a lot of the platform functionality that you would get from an automation tool, CI tool, whatever, Jenkins, you name them all, they don't really bring forward the Docker file experience as a first-class citizen in those tools. So for example, if you do a Docker build in just every tool I've ever seen, like a CI tool or automation tool, it's gonna kind of treat that as one step, one action, you know, one workflow piece, and it either passes or fails. And then you have to dig into the logging to see all that stuff. Whereas if you bring the linting out of that and the CI testing out of that, and you put it in the native tool of your automation tool, then you get to see uh, the logs are split out to each step. You can see the progress of the steps. You can have different things happen depending on which step fails. You can do all that logic in your CI. Otherwise, you're forced to do it all in your Docker file. Now, if we were in a different 2021 and the world had accepted Dockerfile as sort of the standard for all things CI and automation, then I think those tools would, you know, they would create stages better. They would highlight stages as different steps in your workflow, but nobody's doing that yet. And I wish they would. But today we're still using YAML instead of Dockerfile. And the way that GitHub Actions works and a lot of the other tools that are, that it's designed on and that are also following suit now, I feel like YAML's a better place for a lot of that. Like the Docker file is inherently limited to basically turning into a bash script, right? Like, I mean, if you're going to be doing all this in a Linux shell, you're just bashing it out. And that's what GitHub Actions separates from me. It, pre it re prevents me from having to write shell scripts for every single automation I want to do. And that's the future of automation is not being a bash expert, like you might have to be with much more basic tools like maybe Drone or Jenkins, where you would have to bash a lot of things. These new tools, you know, it's all about sharing workflows, sharing uh, reusable components, right? And, and Superlinter is part of that. So anyway, that's kind of my opinion. I went down a rabbit hole there, but that's a great question. Am I planning to make a video on traffic? I have had, this channel has had multiple discussions around traffic. I've had a guest on this show about traffic and a friend of mine actually makes courses on traffic. So I don't have any traffic plans in the near term, like meaning this year. If you go on, if you go in this channel and you just on YouTube and you just search in the videos, if you just search for traffic, you will find previous videos that we talk about traffic and some guests that are 
even smarter at traffic than myself because I'm not a, I don't really consider myself a traffic expert. I am a traffic ambassador, so I love to talk about it. <laughs> but uh, no, I don't have plan on having a video. Can we efficiently use Linter? Absolutely. And security scanning to the automation, GitLab CI is also a similar path. Yes. So all these are great questions. Yes. The whole point is we want to lint every time there's a commit. I, I basically I'm convinced now that linting at least in GitHub with Superlinter is so easy to implement that it's eventually at some point going to just be a checkbox. There's devils in the details if you have really large mono repos that are existing and you're basically bringing in and linting an existing code base for the first time. If you're doing that, there is work. You're going to have to tune your linter. But just the act of linting is what I'm talking about here, not the perfection of your linting, because that is an evolving process where you might want to disable rules. I, I disable rules when I lint my Docker files. There's some rules I disable. When I do shell script linting, I sometimes have to put in exceptions. So that's all the effort of implementing linting. But really what we want to do is get started by saying linting is in my repos. All of my repos lint by default. Every time you push a commit, they lint. Every time you push a lint, a commit, they lint. Does that rhyme? I almost rhyme. So what, that's what we're going to do. And I want to get into it. So let me get through these questions real quick. Security scanning would totally, we could totally do that as a part of this. But the short answer is security scanning is happening automatically in a lot of places now. On GitHub, it's automatically scanning with Dependabot all your app dependencies. It's not scanning images, but it is scanning your app dependencies. So if you enable that by default, and I have it enabled on all my repos, then you're already getting, I'd say, 80% of the scanning stuff that you get out of a, a image scanner. An image scanner will scan apt get dependencies and yum dependencies, but those you won't get out of a dependabot scanner. But a lot of our image storage, like key or harbor, or if you pay for Docker Hub, a lot of these, they auto scan your images now already. So I'm finding that CVE scanners for images or just in general for a repo it's not a workflow that I'm running out of the box. I don't automatically gravitate to that because I've already got so many other places where that's happening. If you do need to, Trivi and Sneak are my two favorites. So look up Trivi and Sneak, T-R-I-V-Y and S-N-Y-K. But we're not going to get into that today. We're doing linting. And on GitLab, I didn't get a chance to actually make this, this demo work on GitLab, but that is definitely a thing. I will talk about how to just run Superlinter anywhere without the GitHub action. So I would say linting is a great question of why do it in CI versus do it locally? Absolutely, you should do it locally, but you can't be sure that other developers are doing it locally, right? How do you know that they did it? I believe that linting as well as like, you know, just any other code analysis tool that you're using in your IDE, that's, I hate it when teams enforce an IDE on their developers. So I never recommend that. Let the developer implement their own you know, use their own editor. And so I think a lot of this stuff I would recommend pushing to your automation platform first, your code storage platform first, because that that's where their code meets the rest of the code, right? And that's where you should do all the automated testing. That's where you should do the linting and the security scanning. Like all that happens there. Someone may have done that locally, but you can't be certain of that. And you don't know if their linter is the exact same version. So you do you locally. If you want to lint before you push, great. It'll probably save you some pushes. I know for me, when I'm lazy a lot of the times, I won't run the linting locally. I just push to my PR branch 
and then I'll fail just like I did today in this demo. I failed a lint. So I fixed a lint, pushed another commit to my PR. And when my PR is done and I'm ready to make the code, get the code merged, I will squash and merge anyway. So my extra commits don't matter. You could argue that you would save time by doing it locally, but I don't have super linter automated locally. That's maybe a next step that I could do. But a lot of the tools nowadays, especially in things like VS Code, which not everyone's using, but in VS Code, a lot of those linters, part of the rule set of them are already implemented in a lot of the extensions you use. So mine's gonna warn me about bad markdown automatically. So it's technically linting as a part of the markdown defaults and stuff like that. Maybe I have a markdown extension that I'm not aware of because we've all got lots of VS Code extensions. But the way you make it a, a gate that people have to step through of making sure they're linted is to put it in your code repos in your automation platform. But that's a great question. There are certainly stages to implementing linting. And Superlinter is no different than any other linter. Superlinter is like the meta linter. It basically collects a whole bunch of linters from open source, dozens of them, and makes a shell script in a Docker image that will auto run it on your entire repo and then finds all the files for each linter and gives it to that linter. So it just saves you a lot of time of implementing every single file type linter. The first time you implement linting for your team, you will probably not want it to fail your PRs. You're going to want it in sort of a review mode where you see the failures, but it's not going to prevent image building, testing of your code, all that other stuff, right? You want testing. You, when you're first building your testing platform, you want to kind of tiptoe into it. So you probably don't want the first day that you're automating your testing of your apps, you probably don't want that to fail PRs and prevent them from merging. You want to let that bake a little bit, make sure that it's working well before you turn it into a, you can't merge this until you fix the lints. Because as I just experienced today, there are problems with my linters because I'm using a brand new GitHub feature that the particular linter that I'm using for GitHub Actions doesn't have in it. So my lints fail, but it's not my fault. Anyway, those are the kind of things that can get in your way with linting. So I don't tend to enforce linting unless I have a very mature team that has been linting since day one and they, they they have opinions about their linting and they know all the different exceptions to their lints and stuff like that. All great questions. Which is my uh, favorite lint style guide? I do not have one. The style guide would be very specific to a language. And the whole point today is talk about Superlinter, which scans dozens of languages. So your markdown, your GitHub action files, your Kubernetes files, your Docker files, it even you know, all your coded stuff, your text files, even it'll, it, it looks for copy paste and making sure that you don't have repetitive anything anywhere in any file. There's just so much to it. So let's jump in and we'll walk, we'll talk through it as we go. All right. Superlinter is a official GitHub project that is essentially a shell script. It's just a shell script, but what it does is it has a Docker image that combines dozens of linters from every other language on the internet. And by language, like I mentioned, all those files, right? All those file types. And so it is implemented as a GitHub action, but you don't have to use it as an action. You can use it as a regular Docker container. You can run it locally in a Docker container against your code or your repo or anything you're doing. If you just had a big bunch of markdown, you just wanted to make sure it was properly markdowned, you could do that. And you could run this on that even without a repo. 
There's this huge list and it includes infrastructure, it includes languages, you know, programming languages, it includes things like SQL that you wouldn't actually consider a language, maybe. Like, I mean, you, it is a language, but you wouldn't think it was a programming language that you would normally specifically lint. And so that's the advantage of this is by implementing this one time, you're going to probably capture all those types of files that you maybe traditionally wouldn't bother with linting, right? Maybe you only have a few SQL files and they're just in a seeding directory for your developers to seed their local setups. But here it's just built in and they're adding more all the time. In fact, they just added secret scanning, which is fantastic. I'm so glad they're getting into this world because for right now, they don't have anything that I'm aware of in here that's very specifically security related, but GitLeaks will scan your repo for different types of keys and it recognizes the formats of different keys like it knows what a github personal access token looks like it maybe looks like it knows other types of keys and secrets you know aws stuff and it will automatically warn you this is the kind of thing you really want running locally before you commit it but at least it will scan and find those on commit when you push it and then you can basically disable that key that you've kind of exposed now and go make a new key because you you know once you've pushed it to github it's exposed there's a lot of work involved if you want to try to actually permanently remove that <laughs> after you've pushed it so it's great that they're adding that in there that was the latest one they just added i think last week but there's so much in here one of the challenges you're going to have is that some of these they don't try to make a preference so for example in javascript you can use eslint or standard js those are two comparable linters for javascript that kind of do the same thing of course, no two linters, because a lot of this is opinion, no two linters really work exactly the same way. So you will at, at times find that you want to disable one or the other and just pick your preference because you might find that you don't need two JavaScript linters. You really just need one. That's also true of Docker files. In my example, I actually disable the uh, Docker file lint. I find it to be outdated and full of more issues, even though it has some rules that Hadoolint does not have. I just choose to disable it just because I'm, I feel like Hadoolint is enough. There's actually another one out there that's a security-based linter that I wish they would add, maybe a PR someday. So they're a really responsive team. I've already made at least, I think, one PR to them, pretty responsive. So uh, a good team, again, run by GitHub internally, but lots and lots of contributors. There are no shortage of contributors on this project, 150. <laughs> And they just released two days ago, the, the 4.8, which is what I think added the GitLeaks security scanner. But the way you implement this tool is like any other GitHub action. They, they have a sample. So the way this thing is designed to work out of the box, when you're doing a PR, it only lints your changes, which is super important because you probably, especially if you have a large repo, and especially if you haven't been linting all the things all the time, you're gonna have tons of errors starting out because you haven't been linting. So with PRs, it will only scan the files that you change in your PR so that your work for fixing your lints is a lot less. And one of the other things you're gonna to need to do when you implement this is they have lots of environment variables for customizing it. So you can turn on and off each linter at your discretion. Each linter is also gonna have configuration files of which they have default templates that you can copy into your own directory and customize them and make it your own and so on. And then, like I said, if you decide if you don't want a particular linter, you can disable it. So a lot of these validate, all these ones that are validate, 
So that basically means turn on or off this linter. And it runs all linters by default, and it runs that linter specifically on the files for that particular linter. So the file names matter. And yeah, I think out of the box, it does just work. Of course, like anything, it, there's devils in the details, but to start out, it's pretty simple to get started. What I've done, and I'll put this in chat, is I have created a super linter example. It's a template repo that you can reuse on your own when you want to create new repos. You can make this your default, but I've found that there's a better way you can use something like this. And that's known as reusable workflows, a brand new beta feature in GitHub Actions that allows you to point to some other workflow file anywhere in GitHub and reuse that entire workflow with a one-liner. And that's my dream, right? Is in an organization, I have a single repo that I put this or many workflow templates in that are basically the same thing. A linter, you could argue, could be configured to work in all your repos by default. And you have this in one repo, and then every other repo just calls this linter and runs the same workflow. So that's a beta feature, and I just started using it 30 minutes ago, and it did work. I'm pretty excited. So this is gonna be the repo, by the way, going forward for talking all about Superlinter and documenting my examples. I've got more readme stuff to put into here. I'm gonna have more documentation eventually. But those are the main things I'm, I'm looking for right now, is that basically we're gonna be using the Superlinter in a GitHub action, but I've added a few things to it. One of them is I don't assume you have just one release branch. And I don't assume that we know the name of your default branch. And so I had a little bash script in there, essentially, that it's going to correctly determine one or more of your release branches. Because if you make fancy software and you maybe have versioned branches that you release from, then you can't just have one main branch, right? Simple apps and GitHub Flow apps, they do have a main branch or a master branch, and then everything is shipped from that branch. So it works out of the box with that. But if you're in a more advanced scenario, like I believe that some of us are, where you need to technically PR to many different branches at different times, not just all PRs go to the main branch, then you're going to want this GitHub logic. And then I've changed this up a little bit based on an opinion of a friend of mine that linting in a PR should only be linting the changed files. That's great. But when you lint on a release branch, let's say main, when you lint on that branch after you've merged, you want to lint everything because you kind of want to know the state of the world of what you're releasing, especially if you've got old code. If you're bringing this to existing code, you're probably going to have lots of linting errors. So you kind of want as a sort of a report of, the state of my repo in linting, you want at some point to lint everything all at once. And so I've changed this to essentially on PR only lint changes on commit to a main branch or your one of your release branches, lint everything. So that's the other change. Now, this isn't necessarily GitHub action specific. Again, I was saying that. So running it locally, it's essentially a Docker run command. So you just need to set a couple environment variables. You can set the run local true. That's what you want to do so that it doesn't try to go check for GitHub action stuff because it, it's no longer running GitHub actions. Then you want to mount in your code base to a specific location, and then you're going to run their image 
from Docker. I, I honestly found that running it against a single file doesn't work the way that I expect. So I need to put in a bug report or something because it doesn't work against a single file. However, if you want to run only one of the linters instead of all the linters, you would just set validate, let's say you want to lint Docker files. You would put in the environment variable dash E validate underscore Docker file equals true. When you do that, it goes from running every linter to running only that linter. So it's intelligent enough to say, hey, if you're not specifically enabling any linters in my environment variables, then I assume you want to run them all. If you set any of them to false, it will run all the others. If you set any of them to true, it automatically falses all the others. So it's a pretty interesting logic out of the box. I find it very easy and friendly to use locally. Warning though, this image is big. It's somewhere between one and two gig. I think it might be closer to two gig in size. They have a slim option that removes something like, I think it removes Java and .NET and some other stuff, but it's still pretty big. <laughs> We're still talking about a gig to two gig in size. So just realize that. All right. Can I set this up as a Docker image to lint via the Jenkins pipeline? Yes. There might be a super linter Jenkins extension or plugin. I haven't looked. But assuming that is not, you would simply have something inside of your Jenkins that would essentially run this command. It would just need to run a Docker image as a part of your pipeline in Jenkins. We're going to talk about this brand new feature called workflow call in a little bit. But for now, I'm going to ignore that. And we're basically saying, I, I release everything on this particular example. I'm releasing everything from the main branch at all pull requests. I'm basically going to lint on any pull request or any commit to the main branch. So if you have other branches that are not PRs, it will not lint, okay? This is an opinion. I, I'm not saying my opinion is right. You may decide you wanna lint on every push to every branch and every pull request. The one challenge there, if you've ever worked at GitHub Actions, is if you just say push and pull request without anything else inside them, on pull request, it will technically, it will lint twice because <laughs> it'll lint because the event push happened and then it'll lint a second time because there's a pull request for that commit. So you kind of got to play with these events to make sure that you're not linting too much or linting too little. Permissions, these are the minimum permissions you need in order to run this. I am a fan of secure by default. So if you didn't know with GitHub Actions, any workflow by default gets read-write everything in the repo. I prefer to lock them down and give them only the permissions that they need. And this has to do with the GitHub token which we're not gonna really get into today, but the GitHub token is what the runner, the thing that runs all of this stuff for you, whether it's a GitHub runner or your private, those things get a token, which is a simply, it's a, it's a temporary password to GitHub. And so that prevents you from having to create pats and other permanent keys to do things like clone the repo. So GitHub tokens are temporary and permissions are restricted. And I'm setting the permissions here to basically say, you only get read access to the repo contents and you can only write to the status and checks. So if you've heard of checks are things that show up in your PRs and in your code, those are the little green checkboxes that you see when automation runs. And so we want to write custom ones. So we kind of need to use the API for that. If you tend to change your default branch based on which release you're using, or if you have many branches that you release from, because maybe you're making commercial software that's downloaded or something like that, and you have version 5.2 and version 5.3, and 
and you might be releasing in multiple places, you will need this type of logic because one of the things that the superlinter does on a PR, it will compare that PR to the branch it's PRing, if that's a, as that's a thing, the pull request target, as we call it. But it assumes that branch is the same branch and you're PRing to the same branch all the time. I find in most complex repos, that's just not true. I might be PRing to your PR branch <laughs> because I saw something in your PR that needs fixed and I thought to help with it. So, you know, there's all sorts of scenarios where we're going to be using a PR or a diff against something other than our default branch. So what I've created is that Git logic or that bash logic will determine at runtime which is the target branch I'm trying to PR to if this is a PR. And then it'll throw that environment variable in here. That way you always get the proper linting of only the changed files. And this is the other bonus I add is that by default, this is set to false in their template. But sometimes you may want to validate all your code base. And in my new opinion, I do that when it's not a pull request. On a pull request, I only really want to edit the, you know, or lint the changes. But on any of the other branches that this is firing for, what I want it to do is lint everything. So GitHub Actions has logic that allows me to put in an expression that will change based on whether this is a pull request or not. So I'm basically saying, if it's a pull request, make this false. If it's not a pull request, make it true. These are just my opinions. But experience, especially in DevOps, of using linting in DevOps has taught me a few things about these linters. It has taught me that in DevOps, you often have repetitive YAML. And so I want to turn off copy-paste detection because I'm not really so worried about repetitive code that I don't want it to lint and alert me that it sees the same 10 lines in a YAML file twice, for example. I also talked earlier about disabling duplicate linters because SuperLinter tries to be un unopinionated. So when there is a bunch of linters for the same file type, it eventually, based on community contributions, it will have multiple options and they're all enabled. So you get to choose your preference. And I've chosen the Hadoo lint, Dockerfile linter, and I've disabled the other one. If you're familiar with editor config, editor config is a great way to make a standard editor configuration for anyone's editor that supports the editor config standard. So this is a pretty neat thing. If you're in a team, you might have someone using Vim, you might have someone else using VS Code, someone might be using a special Ruby app, someone might be using Atom or Emacs, whatever. And all of those you can implement editor config into, which takes a single file known as the .editor config, and it allows you to conform and standardize on things like tabs versus spaces, how many spaces for each tab, you know, do you want a new line at the end of the file? Do you want to allow extra spaces at the end of a line? Do you want max line length? All those type of basic editor things. And the cool thing is if you implement editor config, this isn't specifically a linter thing, but if you implement editor config in a team, everyone can choose their tools and their tools should all respond and warn to them when they're editing wrong <laughs> before you push code and find that, you know, someone else using Vim, it didn't warn them about tabs versus spaces in Python or something. And so you want to implement this eventually in a large team. In my example, there is a thing called editor config 
checker, which is an interesting idea in practice. What it does is, based on what your editor config is set up for, it will lint everything in your repo based on that config. However, I find it to be a pretty brute force tool for linting, and it's not near as intelligent or as granular as all the other linters. So since we're using Superlinter, and Superlinter picks the right linter for the job, I don't want editor config linting of my entire repo. Weirdly, you would think that this lints the editor config file, <laughs> but it doesn't. It actually lints the entire repo. So I disable that. And then if you're a Kubernetes person and you're using custom resource definitions, which you almost certainly are, the kubeval or kubeval, that particular linter will error out by default because it doesn't know what type of resource that is because it doesn't come by default with Kubernetes. So I set in some options for it to not warn for that. Now, again, for all these linters, you can set custom config files and all that stuff. But that's the linting file. That's it. The other thing that is going to complement this for you in GitHub Actions is to do a few more things. One of those is Dependabot. Dependabot is great. It does many things. You can see it under security in your repo. It is not a linting specific thing. I just want to mention it because once you start using GitHub Actions, these versions of things, and I always recommend you pin to versions on everything, really, especially if you're talking about a real world business with production stuff, you want to pin stuff. So I pin the version of any of my action steps. I pinned the super linter. And then Dependabot is a generic dependency checker. So most people know Dependabot because in the security tab, it will tell you that your NPM package JSON is out of date or your Ruby gem file is out of date, you know, or your Python pip stuff is out of date, right? It'll, it'll tell you for each language things that are security related out of date. You can even customize all those per ecosystem. What I'm doing is I'm enabling it and saying specifically, I would like you to check for updated versions in the GitHub Actions package ecosystem. And every month, it will give me PRs in my repo to update the versions of my GitHub Action steps. Pretty cool, right? So whenever a new linter version comes out, about once a month, I will see a PR show up from a robot that basically updates that one line and it just changes the version. And it also does linting <laughs> because I've got the linter enabled, it will do linting on that PR. And every month I kind of go through all my repos and say yes to all the Dependabot PRs. So you want this to help you automate that and keep your stuff fresh, not stale. The other thing you're gonna to wanna to do as you add linters, if you look up the super linter, it basically says any custom files go in a subdirectory of GitHub called linters. Essentially what you're going to do is you're gonna have a directory called linters, and in there, for every single linter that you want to customize, you will implement its specific file, right? Because every linter is different, and you can see all that in the super linter documentation. It will basically explain to you, make that directory, and then you're going to put the file type for that particular linter. They have a template file for every major I'm not sure if I'm gonna say all the linters, but all the major ones that they have. So if you go under templates in the, the Superlinter repo, you will see templates for everything from Ansible to JavaScript 
to Dockerfile, everything. And each one of them is going to be completely unique. You don't have to put these in by default, but you likely will eventually need it. For example, on the Markdown linter, I tend to put in a rule that says, I don't care how long my lines are. If someone wants to write a 800 character line, fine. Maybe I'll limit it to 4,000 characters per line. But by default in Markdown Linter, it will complain after 80 characters. I want way more than that. I think it's 80 characters, but I want it to have at least 400, 800 characters. I don't really care because all modern editors have word wrap and I just word wrap. So anyway, that's just me. That's something that I would do in a custom file. I would call it Markdown Lint and I would add it to that linters directory inside my repo. You weren't kidding about the size. The non-slim version is 5.2 gig when pulled to my machine, unless they make you pick and choose which linters you need. This isn't practical in a pipeline workflow. I would argue that it is practical because it's downloading it once. So it's not going to update it until you change the version. And so it's going to download it one time. Every CI system I know has tons of disk space because it's downloading dozens of images, right? I am using this in corporate projects in multiple places on dozens of GitHub runners, and it works fine. It takes about 30 seconds to a minute, depending on the machine, to download on a server in the cloud. It's definitely going to be longer locally. So uh, if you want to use the Slim, they show you how to use Slim in here. So if you don't use Rust, .env linters, ARM, I guess that's ARM development or something, uh, PowerShell or C Sharp, if you don't use those, it shrinks it down. It brings it down two gig. So it saves you two gig on the download. But the reality is that what I see in the real world is when you enable this in a repo or in your CI, you're linting on every commit. It's downloading this once every few weeks and then it's storing that five gig image and running it in every single pipeline, right? It's constantly running as people are committing and pushing to branches and PRs, it's linting and linting. So I don't feel like that's a big deal, um, especially considering that most applications I work with, it's a Node app, it's a PHP app, it's a Ruby app. Those are one to two gig themselves. And those fill up the hard drives way faster than a linter because if you've ever done CI on those types of images, you're, when you build those images, a bunch of the layers are all new every single time you build. And if you have a team of people, let's say you're building 20, 30 times a day, that's a new, probably 500 meg of dependencies and stuff every day, depending on how you design your Docker file. So every single CI system I've managed, you have to have daily image cleanup which is a whole separate topic for a different day. But you should definitely have some sort of Dockerfile image cleanup where it prunes the images that aren't in use every single day that haven't been used. I think there's actually a setting in the prune command, the Docker prune command, that will prevent from removing any images that are less than three days old, essentially. So you can tell it basically if I've made stuff today or yesterday, don't delete it. But I do that on all of my GitHub runners and other CI platforms, they all auto clean anyway. That's what I recommend. But that's a great comment that it is heavy, but I find that the benefits outweigh the negatives. But that's just me. Can you customize a super linter image? No. If you mean, can I customize the linters? Yes, every single linter can be customized like we just showed. Can you add new linters? No, what I would recommend you then do is do a PR to the super linter because the Superlinter repo is very accepting of PRs of new linters. If you needed to run a one-off linter, 
Or if you don't like their version of the linter, let's say maybe you need to use an older version of a linter that they have updated. I would argue that if they're running an outdated version of the linter, just give them a PR to update that version of the linter and they'll do it. I see them do this every week. They're constantly updating it. But if you need your own, then what I would recommend inside your own workflow file, you could either make a separate workflow just for that linter or what I do is I just add a step at the very bottom. So let's say I wanted to run a custom version of a Golang linter. What I would do is I would add a new line that says validate go false. So it would not run the go linter here. And then I would add one more step that would run the Golang linter. And when it's GitHub actions, if I go to the GitHub marketplace for actions, I think it's called Golang CI. So this is the linter for Go that Superlinter uses, and that project has its own GitHub action to just run it. So if I wanted to specify a very particular version of this linter, I could just add this action step. You know, they give an example where that's all I need. So I would just add that as another step underneath Superlinter. So the goal of Superlinter isn't to be the perfect linter for every repo and every code file. That's my opinion. I don't think that it's going to achieve in a very large team. We're talking dozens of developers all on a single repo. I don't think it's easy for you to achieve perfection in exactly everything with Superlinter. What I'm arguing for and what I am advocating for here is that you start with Superlinter should be the thing that's in every repo by default running on at least every PR and possibly every commit. That's your base. You start there. And then over time, as you mature, you might find that for Ruby, you prefer a different version of RuboCop. So you disable that linter in Superlinter and you run it as a second step after Superlinter. And eventually you'll end up with your own custom setup that's highly tweaked to your, your environment. But I feel like Superlinter gets you so close that it's a great starting point. If I could tell you the last seven years of DevOps and development focused consulting, because if I go back farther than that, we're not even using containers back then and obviously GitHub Actions and other modern CI tools weren't around. But for the last seven years, I can think of one client that I've had out of dozens that lints every repo by default. People just don't do it. And eventually that creates bad habits where you get different design opinions based on who committed. You get different styles because over time people leave the team and leave the company. New people show up with new opinions and there's nothing to enforce opinions or style. And so it becomes harder and harder over time to edit other people's code because the ultimate question becomes, do you implement your style and rewrite that file to your expectations? Or do you adhere to the previous author's opinions on that file? And that's a big question for teams. And linting takes the responsibility or the opinion away from people and just says, hey, it's the linter's opinion. If you don't like the linter's opinion, you can customize it. But at least it's standard for the whole team. And then everyone expects you to adhere to the standard instead of Brett's opinion or Joe's opinion or Mary's opinion. I hate to get into the opinion wars with dev teams because we're not, we all have our own expertise. So let the linter be the opinion and you all customize the linter the way you need to and move forward. So I'm convinced that with something like this, 
when you have dozens of files now in a repo, file types, in a, if you think about it, just in a JavaScript repo for a website, you're going to have JavaScript, CSS, HTML, probably YAML, JSON, probably a Docker file. You probably have some other types of files that I'm not even thinking of, but just alone, that's like six different linters. And Superlinter will get you started and probably tell you about linters that you didn't even know existed for particular file types that you didn't know you needed to lint. You're going to have a markdown file, so you need a markdown linter. Like there's just so many things there, right? So I feel like it's the great beginning for everyone. One of the challenges is, let's say your organization has 50 repos. How do you standardize on the super linter in every one of those repos without repeating the same workflow file over and over again? There's some customization there. So you might need to customize a little bit per repo, like individual uh, configuration files or something like that per repo. There's a new beta in GitHub Actions. You might already have this. If you're not using GitHub Actions, you're using another platform like Jenkins or GitLab or whatever, you might have this, but GitHub is calling it reusable workflows. So for those of you that have repos on GitHub, reusable workflows are a two-part system where you make the workflow in one repo, and then in all the other repos that you would like to use it, you call to that workflow in the separate repo by file path. And then you don't have to repeat it over and over again. You just focus on editing and customizing it in one place. It's fantastic. This is not templates, by the way. If you look into something called GitHub templates, which is another way to do this, a template repository, you can create a .github repo or really any repo. So inside your settings, you can mark this as a repo template, not a workflow template, but a repo template. That's only good when you're making new repos though. If I have a GitHub action in here, you can't easily reuse that in an existing repo. So then there's a thing known as workflow templates. And workflow templates are reusable templates for your organization. It doesn't work on a personal account, but if you're in an organization, free or otherwise, you create a .github repository and then in a specific directory, you add a workflow and you add that workflow file plus a metadata file into a repo. And then you create a JSON file to describe that workflow, like the version, you give it a description, a name, you can choose the icon and you do all of that. And then if it's in a .github repo for your organization, whenever anyone creates a new action, if you've ever been in a repo and you say actions, new workflow, what you will see is a bunch of the templates from your organization and that just allows you to copy, again, copy, not reference, but copy that workflow. That's still not ideal for this scenario because really what we're saying is we ideally would just want one Superlinter config that all our repos would work for. If what if you need to make a change to Superlinter, like the version? Do you really wanna have to PR 50 different repos to update the version of Superlinter for 50 different repos? So that's where reusable workflows comes in. All right, so thank you all to their asking questions. Um, I was looking for linters and the formatted for Jenkins files. Okay, there's no Jenkins mentioned in the superlinter. So that's the benefit and the problem of open source. So what I recommend is if you have, I mean, I don't know if it's a Jenkins file linter. I'm not a huge Jenkins person anymore because I feel like 
I just don't like it anymore. So in all my projects and, and with my customers, I'm always trying to move them off Jenkins to something else, Circle CI, you know, GitHub Actions is my new favorite, Drone if you have to. So what people do is they make a PR to add a new linter, or they at least add an issue that says, please add this linter, right? So if you look at all these, you know, people want to, these are all about people updating linters, adding new linters. I just don't know if there's a Jenkins file one. I don't know if anyone knows of one. If there's a pipeline file, linter, stuff like that, I don't know the answer to that. But if there is one, we should definitely add it to Superlinter. The weird thing, though, is Superlinter's project is focused on GitHub Actions. And in GitHub Actions, you probably wouldn't be linting Jenkins. But I definitely work on projects today where they do some things in GitHub Actions and other things in Jenkins or in Drone. So that also can be normal for large projects where you have maybe a really complex testing infrastructure that you'd use Jenkins for. And for the easier, simpler stuff, you might use public GitHub action runners. That might be a good example of doing that. So I think it's totally worth putting in an issue. If you want to run this in Jenkins, you just use a Docker run command. I don't know about Jenkins editor or Jenkins linters, but many languages now come with a default formatter for the language. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Conrad. Thank you for that information. That's the thing is like if you're in VS Code, you're already getting some linting out of the box, especially if it's a infrastructure as code, because a lot of those tools and like YAML and JSON, there are public definitions for a lot of those things that it automatically tries to adhere to. So as you're writing, you'll get little yellow squigglies that tell you about this stuff. And it's kind of like inline lint, even though they don't call it that. So great comments. Thank you. And then there could be a groovy one. Great point, Oliver. Well, NPM Groovy Lint, plot twist, maybe this particular one, I don't know why it's called NPM Groovy Lint. Maybe it's just because you're getting it through NPM. So it says Jenkins files. So there's your linter. Awesome. Great idea to look up the Groovy keyword. And what they do here is they will use the template that's existing out of the box. So one thing you might experience, this is kind of a pro tip, is if you run a particular linter manually locally, and then you just run Superlinter and you see different results that could be because of these templates. Because out of the box, these Superlinter templates are not empty usually. So there's something in there and that may not be what you're using for your local linting. So one of the things for your project, and I'll probably need to put this in the readme, one of the things for the project of you implementing Superlinter is that if you have existing linting config files, Let's say you have an ESLint dot, you know, dot ESLint or something like that that's already in your repo. The way you implement that in Superlinter is step one, assuming you're using GitHub Actions, you would put it in the linters subdirectory. You'd move it. You technically are going to move it into the linter subdirectory as the proper name as Superlinter expects it to be. It's usually the, the, the default for whatever that linter's uh, standard is. You put it there. Then what I recommend is you symlink it back to the root of the repo so that your local running of linting works. Because if you're used to you maybe your code editor or just the commands you're running, or maybe you've got some make files that automatically run linting for you locally, that stuff probably expects the file to be in its default location, not here, right? So you need it in both locations. So either keep it in the root and symlink it to here or vice versa. But that's what I do with teams that already have a bunch of linting files in the root. I end up moving them all here symlinking them back to their original location. Sometimes it's a different file name, but so I'll symlink it to a different file name. That way I don't disrupt their workflow locally while also enabling GitHub Actions to Superlint. So that's going to be a, a step for you. 
All right, Perth. Sorry if I mispronounced that. If someone's developing in private repo dealing with sensitive code, do they have to concern themselves with security about using Superlender or Dependabot? No, I'm not aware of anything sensitive about linting or Dependabot. Remember, things are happening on your code in GitHub, whether you know it or not. A lot of the security stuff is already enabled in your repo. I bet you if you went to one of your repos now and you went to the security tab, you might have some of these things already enabled, which means there's bots running against your code all the time. So if you're focused on security, first off, private repos work great all day long. My first use of Superlinter was in private repos. So I use them in private repos all day long. Works great. It works great with GitHub public runners and GitHub private runners that you run yourself. It just works. It's a very simple little Docker image that just needs to bind mount your code in and run a bunch of commands against it. So it's not changing any code. And the way you can ensure that you're running least privilege, as I recommend you do, is basically Superlinter only has read access to the code, not write access. And it only has access to write to the status API. So that's the only thing it has write access to. So the way that works is that when you're using it, GitHub checks. And GitHub checks run many things, as well as GitHub actions, against commits or PRs or both. And you've probably seen these all over the place. You may not realize this, but when you go back on your commits, you can see this stuff for every single commit, right? And you can click on it and it'll show you all the actions that have all run on your code, as well as any GitHub apps or any integrations you have. So if you've integrated your Jenkins pipelines, for example, with your GitHub commits using the webhooks method, those will show up as well. And they show up for every commit and every PR, depending on how you've set them up. And so one of the nice things about Superlinter is that as it detects different file types that have changed, it dynamically makes a new line, a new check. And that's how it uses the status API to keep adding checks. So based on what you're changing in that commit, it runs and you're going to get more details. You can see different ones probably for different commits as I change things. And so that's known as checks. And the status and checks APIs are kind of one of the same. Most people don't realize that, that stuff's there, but it keeps a history. It actually even keeps the logs of all of those runs by default for 90 days. And that's how you can get to it. Even after your PR is merged and the PR branch has been deleted, you can still get to those logs by just going back in your commits and looking for all those runs. So hopefully you learned something. That was a fantastic question. So thank you. All right. I'm going to wrap it up because I feel like we've done a ton and it's been an hour and a half here. So I hope you find this valuable. I will be updating those repos with more Superlinter example stuff and more details in the readme as time goes on. So the way to get updates on that is to join my Patreon because over here at patreon.com slash Brett Fisher, for free, you can just click the follow button. And then when I make major updates to these things, I send out little notifications to people. So thank you, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.